Hello, friends, and welcome to the Everyday Truth Podcast with Kurt Skelly. We are here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. And we're glad you joined us here for the conversation. Right now, we're studying the book of Revelation in a series called The End is the Beginning. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Welcome back, friends. Appreciate you joining us again today. Looking forward to jumping into our our teaching about the church at Philadelphia. And one of the churches in the Bible about whom uh, nothing negative is said. It's not to say that it was a perfect church. We know that no church is perfect. Uh, But what a great model this church serves for all churches even today. So look at Revelation chapter 3. And we're in verse number seven. Let me read uh, a verse or two for us, and then we'll jump right in. Revelation chapter three, verse number seven. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth no man openeth, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. No man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. So I think by now we kind of have an idea about how the Lord addresses each one of these churches. He begins always by introducing himself. And what's very interesting to me in the introduction is that Jesus describes himself in various ways. Um, He describes himself according to how he's approaching that church, what they need. For instance, uh, you know, I have many different roles in life. Uh, I um, am a pastor. I am a dad. I'm a grandpa. I'm a husband. I'm a brother. I'm a son. We have many different roles, and the way that I approach various people depends upon the role that I have relative to them. So it's important that we understand how Jesus comes to the church at Philadelphia. And and watch what he specifically says again in verse number 7. So to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, and I'll, I'll say a quick word about that. Philadelphia is named after Attalus. Uh, Attalus II, actually, who was the founder of the city uh, back when Greece ruled the world. We're talking about now the, the, the 300s, the 200s uh, BC. And actually, of all the seven cities in Asia Minor, Philadelphia was the newest city. And Philadelphia was actually started because it was so strategically located between the European co- continent and what was kind of like the, the, the wild, wild west, although in that case, it'd be the wild, wild east, and the, the non-Greek areas. And part of the design for the Greek empire was they wanted everyone to speak the same language. Uh, they wanted people to adopt Greek culture. They call that the Hellenization of the world. And God used that, by the way. God used the fact that there was one world language. God used the fact that there were transportation systems that were developed and roadways and all of that, that that Rome actually uh, even did more. Uh, So we see the hand of God. And what's interesting is that Philadelphia, 
named after Attalus, his nickname was Philadelphos, um, was founded for the purpose of Hellenizing that area, bringing Greek culture to the regions beyond. Isn't that interesting? That the world is also very keen on evangelizing. Oh, not evangelizing for the gospel's sake, uh, but that very keen upon people believing the way they believe or having the philosophies they have, which is why it's so important for us when we make educational choices for our children to make sure that they're not being uh, proselytized by other philosophies. Uh, Paul dealt with that very specifically in Colossians chapter 2. We have to always be careful about the way that people are trying to proselytize us to their way of thinking. So Philadelphia was started in many respects as a missionary outpost for Grecian culture. Uh, and ironically, here in Revelation chapter 3, we find it a great missionary outpost for the gospel. So what maybe the devil meant for evil, God means for good. And God has the unique ability to redeem that which is so uh, anti-God into something that is so pro-God. Think about the, the testimony of Paul himself. So Jesus writes to the church now that has been founded in Philadelphia, and he introduces himself as, verse number seven, uh, the one that is holy. Uh, and, and that's such a great testament to the deity of Jesus Christ because holiness is the supreme quality of God. And nobody can say that he is holy, uh, but Jesus entirely set apart entirely embracing this quality of God. He is holy. He is true in the sense that he is authentic. He is not uh, a facade. He is the real deal. That's the, that's the word here. So he is holy. He is true. And then the Bible says, and he hath the key of David. So he is the offspring of David. He's the son of David. Uh, this is actually a quotation from Isaiah chapter 22 and refers to the days of Hezekiah when Hezekiah had a finance minister by the name of Eliakim who came after a, a guy by the name of Shebna. N none of that matters except to say that God gave Eliakim the, the key to that, the, the, fi the financial key to that ministry of Hezekiah. And the illustration here is that Jesus has authority. He has financial authority for sure, but he has the authority over nature, over circumstances, over our lives. Uh, a key in the Bible was always a symbol of authority. The one that has the keys is the one that superintends the so the Philippian jailer had the keys to the jail. Remember when Jesus said to Peter, thou art Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church. And then he said, I will give to you the keys of the kingdom. Uh, the, what, thou what, what you bind will be bound in heaven. What you loose will be loosed in heaven. In other words, I'm giving you the gospel. And the gospel will be the way by which people enter heaven, the way by which people, uh, the rejection of the gospel is the shutting of that door. So keys in the Bible symbolize great authority. And the Bible says that Jesus is coming to the church at Philadelphia as the one that is holy, 
the one that is true and the one that has the keys. Now, what's specific about that? Why would Jesus say that? Well, watch what it goes on to say in verse number seven. He that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. So Jesus has sovereignty in gospel opportunities because an open door in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, typically referred to gospel opportunities. The Apostle Paul talked about that to the church at Corinth in a couple different places, most notably in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, when he said, a great door and effectual is open unto me and there are many adversaries. So what was he talking about? Well, he was talking about his opportunity in Ephesus because he was writing the the book of 1 Corinthians from Ephesus. The point there is there's great gospel opportunity. It seems as if people are listening, they're receiving, they're coming to Christ. This is an open door. So it's one thing to recognize an open door. It's another thing to walk through an open door. So Jesus is the opener of the doors. He opens doors of opportunity. Uh, He shuts doors of opportunity. And it is ours to walk with the Lord and recognize and seize those opportunities when they come. Look at verse number eight, uh, where the Bible says, I know thy works. Behold, pay special attention now, is what the Lord's saying. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. So see how the Lord did that there? I'm the opener of doors, and I've set before you an open door. So the church at Philadelphia had a great gospel opportunity. They had a great God-given, Christ-provided opportunity to introduce people to Jesus Christ. Now, what's very significant about that is as we read on in the story of Philadelphia, what we're going to realize is that the doors to the synagogue— because there was a Jewish population in Philadelphia, had been shut to the Christians. Now, how sad, because most Christians back in the early days were former Jews. So you can only imagine how culturally uh, offensive and harmful that would be to somebody who grew up going to synagogue, who grew up under the teaching of the Old Testament scriptures, and now they've been forbidden as if there's some kind of pariah, some kind of a Jew hater, as if Judaism and Christianity are in some way antithetical from each other, which they're not. But the unbelieving Jews, we find that throughout uh, Paul's missionary journeys, a generation before this, for instance, in Thessalonica, they were moved to envy and they kicked Paul out of town. So here, a generation later, uh, as John writes the church at Philadelphia, same kinds of things are happening. There's becoming an increasing divide between Jews and Christians insofar that the Jews in Philadelphia have have expelled, have shut their door uh, to the Christians of Philadelphia. But what Jesus says is, hey, listen, they can shut their physical door to their religious institution But the door to fellowship with me, the door to what I want you to accomplish in your life, the door that I have provided is wide open because I hold the keys. I'm the one that opens it. I'm the one that shuts it. Look at verse number eight again. So I know your works. I've set before thee an open door. No man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength. So 
you're not the opener of doors. You're not the creator of opportunities. You're not the saver of souls. No, your strength will never suffice for the real work of ministry. But that's not to say that we don't have a part. No, our part is to take our weakness and our little strength and to submit ourselves to the will of God, to the purpose of Jesus, to obey, realizing that when we are weak, right? This is what the Apostle Paul taught, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Then he is strong. And what he can do with our weakness when we give it to him. So who is this church? Here's a church with great evangelistic opportunity. Here's a church that realizes they need the Lord. Uh, Their strength is not sufficient. Unlike the busy church at Sardis, this church realizes, boy, if the Lord doesn't do it, it's not going to get done. They have a little strength. Then the Bible says in verse number eight, thou hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. So what a great description of this church, a church that has great gospel opportunity. Now they they have to walk through that door and it's not to say that God just saves people without using human intervention. He uses us. How can they hear without a preacher? But he's the opener of doors. So a church with great evangelistic fervor, a church that had great access to the Lord in that open door, but also a church that, uh, uh, that uh, was faithful. They realized that their strength was in the Lord. So they hung on to him. They realized that that's where their bread is buttered. Uh, and they stayed faithful uh, to their relationship with Christ and their fellowship of the will of God for their lives. And God used them. Uh, they weren't tremendously gifted, not that we know of. They weren't tremendously resourced that we know of. They were just people that understood who Jesus was, understood what their opportunities were, understood where their strength uh, lay, and they trusted him. And that can be you, and that can be me, as we simply put our faith and trust in Jesus and look for the opportunities that he provides. So I hope that helps today. Thanks for joining us again for uh, this episode. Looking forward to jumping back into some more information about the Church of Philadelphia next time. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.